That is our prayer this morning. You have heard us cry to you in praise. Receive it, Lord, unto yourself. And Father, I pray that this morning there would not be distractions from praise and glory and honor to your name. So we come, some of us, Lord, heavy-hearted, and I ask that with open hands we give that to you and ask in return you would give us the grace and the presence of your wondrous Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, as we open your word and feast at the table that you have set for us, come, feed us, for your children are hungry. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5. I thought this morning about bringing up the large rolling dry marker board from downstairs. Um, and I thought that might overwhelm what's behind me. So with words, I'm going to paint you some pictures today. So can you imagine there's actually a dry erase board behind me? I might actually turn and mimic drawing. I thought that would be a little bit better than bringing in flannel graph. But when I mentioned that to a couple people, they really wanted flannel graph. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Lord, bless the reading of your word and bless the hearers in its presence. Amen. This month in chapel, our theme is living in Christ. And so I thought one of the best things that I could do is actually work through the New Testament. All the passages that has the idea of in Christ, in Him, in the Lord. I went through Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians. A hundred and 22 occurrences of that. We're going to be here a while. Or you would allow me to use 2 Corinthians 5 as a summation of that, if that might be possible. I'm not even taking into consideration all the other passages that might be not just in him or in the Lord or in Christ, but with him and by him and through him and all the derivations that go with it. Would you believe 350 plus. The idea of living in Christ is everywhere in Scripture, and it needs to be everywhere in our followership of Him. Living in Him. Is this a metaphor or is it a reality? Is it just a way of talking about Jesus? Or is Jesus actually claiming 
a whole new reality, a whole new way of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. I, I uh, hinted at first-year students' orientation on Sunday um, a little bit about what I want to talk about this morning, that we are people of story. Our story, our lives, need to take a secondary position according to his story and his life and his kingdom come. So would you do me a favor? You're in 2 Corinthians. Would you turn to Matthew's gospel? Matthew's gospel chapter 4. Turn to Matthew 4, 17. The first three and a half chapters of Matthew's gospel is setting the tone for the whole book. It's talking about Jesus as he is born. He is son of Abraham, son of David. He is the coming Jewish ruler. That's who Jesus Christ is. We see his genealogy. You may see it as being incredibly boring, but if you were a good Jew in the first century, or for that matter, if you were even a bad Jew in the first century, you would know that this is pointing to the coming Messiah, the one who is going to set up his rule here on earth. And if you guessed what it would look like, you would be, carefully chosen word, if you guessed, you would be dead wrong. If you guess what the kingdom looks like, if you guess what the Messiah is like, it's going to cost you your life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is the beginnings of the revelation of who God is. We need to make sure that when we are walking by faith and living by faith and living in him, we are not guessing what that looks like. Because I promise you, if you guess, you will guess wrong. Um, I was uh, teasing Tyler yesterday. Teasing is uh, um, probably not a fair thing to do. He was downstairs in the basement of the student center. And he was trying to get together all his assignments. So, have any, anybody begun working on that? I heard one shout out yesterday in gospels class, only 74 assignments to go and I can go home. Um, Tyler is taking Psalms class with Professor Branscombe. And Professor Branscombe has Tyler and the rest of his class reading through Psalms three times in three different translations. And I said, Tyler, are you, are you thinking about being ordained? And he says, yes, I'm, I'm thinking about being ordained. And I said, did you know that in the first century, if you were going to be ordained, you were not called to read through the Psalms three times. You were called to have them memorized. All of them. Here's the reason. If you don't know the Psalms, you don't know how to pray. You don't know what God is like. You don't know what sin is like. You don't know the way he actually works within the world and the way he declares his forgiveness and redemption. You don't know. You'd be guessing. And as a pastor, if you're guessing what God is like, you might actually be taking somebody down a path that caused them to be destroyed and not living in Christ. I'm not sure where that left you. I kind of left the room after that. Kind of threw a hand grenade in the room and walked out. That wasn't quite fair. 
So if you're actually, if you're a Wesleyan and thinking of meeting before the DBMD for ordination, you don't have to have the whole book of Psalms memorized. But friends, it's not a bad idea. If you're striving for a goal in life, strive to have a prayer book implanted in your heart. Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From that time forward, Jesus began to preach, stop. Everything else is a precursor to this. This is now Jesus's, and use this term in the best of sense, this is his coming out party. Everything else is preparation. And now he is about to declare. And here's what he's saying. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything else that Jesus tells are kingdom stories. Everything that Jesus tells is kingdom stories. Everything that's not a kingdom story, listen carefully, everything that's not a kingdom story is a lie. And very often, we are caught up not in kingdom stories, but in earthly lies. And we need to make sure that we understand what Jesus is declaring as the truth, the kingdom truths. If you want to live in Christ, you need to have the truth. And don't forget, as, as he moves through, all of a sudden he begins with the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want the truth of the gospel, you've got it right there, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Bad news, Tyler. The early church also assumed you would have the Sermon on the Mount memorized, of course. And anybody know what the very central portion of the Sermon on the Mount is? I mean, right, literally, dead center in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom stories must be revealed. They cannot be guessed. Because as I said before, if you guess what Jesus is like, and in just a moment we'll go to a place where somebody guesses, where you guess what Jesus is like, you will be wrong. Because he is revealing what heaven is like, and everything that we experience on earth is not like heaven. It's like earth. It's like a lie. And there's a liar that is trying to deceive us from what creation is like. The good and godly created order is now turned upside down. And the, the father of lies is ruling this world. And if the only guesses you have is from this perspective, a horizontal perspective, you will be wrong. It must be revealed. So, turn from chapter 4, verse 17, to now chapter 16. Smack dab in the middle of Matthew's gospel. Chapter 16, verse 13. My guess is you are fairly familiar with this passage. Now, when Jesus came from the district of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's Jesus playing Jeopardy. Guess. Guess what the Son of Man is like. And here is the people's response. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Good guess. You're wrong, but good guess. You must have the kingdom stories implanted in your mind, in your heart. Otherwise, you will be wrong. And if you're going in the direction of your guessing, if you're a leader, you will be taking people with you. But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see what's being said? You only know this because the Father revealed it to you. All the rest of humanity is playing guessing games. John the Baptist, maybe Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Elijah, we don't know. Peter knows because the Father has told him. And I tell you the truth, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 20 is a very unusual verse, but he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Shh. The Father has revealed this. The title. You see, here is the problem. Peter is making an assumption. The assumption is that when God comes, he will come with enough force to throw the Romans out. And it takes a lot of force and power to throw the Romans out. All Peter knows, all Peter knows is what he's seen. He's seen the Romans by force, and it's going to take a huge counter army to throw them out. And Peter is saying, I welcome in that kind of force. And Jesus says, shh. Listen to verse 21. From that time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples. Now, now notice, chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. From that time forth, Jesus preached. Listen to this passage. This is the parallel passage with 4.17. From this time forward, Jesus began to show them. Friends, kingdom stories are easy to tell. I'm not asking you to learn kingdom stories to just tell them. I'm asking you to learn kingdom stories to live them. Do you see the difference? One is a cognitive understanding and then a declaration. But if you notice, nobody in the Gospels has figured out who Jesus is yet. So just pure content is not enough to transform a heart. Jesus now begins to show them what the kingdom looks like. 
he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter did not like the contents of kingdom stories. Peter, and probably many of us, like earthly stories that have a little kingdom sprinkling. That's what we want. We want God to come the way we want him to come, where we want him to come, and how we want him to come. Tyler, if you pray that way, you will pray wrong. You will pray for the enemies to be destroyed. And Jesus says, enemies to be destroyed? I want your enemies to be transformed to become friends. That's kingdom thinking, not earthly thinking. And the only way that can happen is if you actually live it. Kingdom stories are easy to tell. Kingdom stories are called into existence as we live in Christ. But he, Jesus, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God. Rather, you're setting your mind on earthly things. This is an incredibly unusual word, setting your mind. It only occurs 20 times in all of the New Testament. Ten of them, ten of them actually occur in the book of Philippians. So would you do me a favor and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only. A number of different translations read this differently. Some of them say one thing. Some, some of them say alone. This one says only. Let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul saying, I want your life to be lived out in Christ. So that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, of your under, that, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, hear that word? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if you will, point one, I want you to embrace kingdom stories. Number two, I want you to shape your life in the midst of a kingdom community. Live as one mind, one spirit in Christ. A kingdom community. What does a kingdom community look like? If I use the term Michio Dei, are you familiar with Michio Day? Maybe some of you first semester students have not heard this yet. We use Latin phrase sometimes to make us sound really smart. 
um, the mission of God. If you have come here to ask God to bless your calling and your mission, you are in the wrong place. There is only one mission, and that's his. And our job is to get our lives so wonderfully in tune with his kingdom stories and his kingdom community that we are all one people going in a direction following Christ and Christ alone. That we don't go out in separate directions and say, God, would you bless this, bless this, bless this. It is his mission. And we are his children going where our heavenly father is taking us. If we live in that kind of community, boy, there are things that um, over here are, there, there's two men. There is Mark Gorvet and there is Ivan Graham. And we meet together as our band every week to literally call each other out to make sure we are staying wholly on the agenda that God has called us. And we push each other back. We ask each other hard questions. Um, sometimes shameful questions. And here is sometimes the topic of conversation. Why are you allowing that to go on in your life? You might be surprised to know that the chief financial officer of the school and the president asked the academic dean that kind of question and why I ask them that kind of question. See if I can put it this way, see if this makes sense. Almost everybody called to ministry has what I would call the gift of helps or probably the gift of mercy. I mean, when somebody hurts, we hurt too, right? Do you, do you feel that? And you want to help to relieve their pain. Am, am I right? I think we have too many paramedics in the world that want to give CPR to a dying person. Friends, I want to die to sin, not be resuscitated in it. We have too many paramedics that are saying, let me make you feel better, when the reason you're feeling bad is because you're actually going in the wrong direction of being in Christ. And we allow that to go on. We have too many spiritual paramedics, and you know what we need to do? We need more priests that give last rites. Die and stay dead. I, I told this in another setting and I was thinking this morning, I don't remember where it was. So I apologize if you've heard this. Several years ago, I was preaching a camp. And the organizers of the camp if, if you're a first semester student, you, you haven't heard my background. It's just not pretty. It really isn't. I lived away from Christ, as far away from Christ as you could for 25 years. 
But, but somehow at camps, they like hearing that kind of story of when you throw in like alcohol and drugs and Jesus in the same sentence, people like that. And so they twisted my arm literally to tell that story. And I did. And as I was telling the story, I was reliving that. And tears were coming down my face. And that, that, again, camps love that. Camps love when the preacher cries. I mean, there's, there's great effect in that. But I wasn't doing it for any effect. I was doing it because I was mourning the way I'd hurt people again and again. After the service was over, Angie, my wife, came up to me and got in my face. And she said, don't you ever do that again. Now, my first thought was, I'd said something about her that was inappropriate. Now, guys, just to learn, that's always a good thing. Don't say something stupid. But she said, it wasn't anything you said about me. You were talking as if the man, David Smith, was still alive. He's dead. Treat him as dead and treat yourself as the child of God that is walking in Jesus. Do you hear the difference? You want to die and to live in Jesus. That's what you want. So living in a covenant-keeping community means that we actually point one another towards death. Stop living a life of sin. Abandon that, die to that, and live in Jesus. We don't need any more paramedics. We need priests that take us to the altar, and we die, and we stay there. And when we arise, we arise in him, in the Lord, in Jesus, and walk in righteousness. If any... If you're reading the NIV, um, I actually wrote a letter to the NIV translation committee. Why do you do this? If any man be in Christ. Why, why would you put the word man in there? Because that just kind of discounts half of the people reading the Bible. If anyone. It's a very simple word in Greek, tis. If anyone is in Christ. Now listen carefully. Here's what it says, new creation. That's all it says. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Not he is a new creation, not she is a new creation. Creation is new. What would you do if I told you this is not about you? This is about others. It's not just about others. It's about him. If anyone is in Christ, creation new. It's much more than being saved from your sins. Or it's much more from being saved in your sins. Jesus is making all things new.
I asked Elizabeth and the team to play that song right before I preached. You are absolutely beautiful. Did you know that? Absolutely beautiful. Living in him. I told the president this morning, um, I lacked faith yesterday. Faith in you. I was uh, upset Sunday. I try to hide that kind of thing so you don't see it. I was upset Sunday as we were getting ready to go out on a prayer walk and it began to rain. I was upset because I wanted you in Sussex. I was more upset Wednesday when we were planning on going out on a prayer walk. Um, very frustrated. I just don't think it's appropriate to send you out in an absolute torrential downpour. And so in my, what word did I use when I emailed you yesterday? In my frustration, I was sad. And so I sent you out a prayer walk guide. You don't have any idea of how many emails I got back and said, oh, Dr. Smith, we, we went out Wednesday. We were all over Sussex. How beautiful is the body of Christ that knows exactly what to do and does it. When you live in this kind of community, you kind of grab a hold of one another and say, let's go. We were talking about praying for Sussex. Let's go. I can't wait for tonight. Balloon fiesta. There will be thousands of people that come to Sussex to see balloons. I am glad the city puts on this event so they can see balloons. But what I'm really glad about is they will see Jesus in you as you are intermingling with them all over the city, all over the, the, the campground area. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Know the kingdom stories. Live in a covenant community that will not allow you to live in a way that's not in Jesus. I don't know if you're going to like it the first time or the second time or the third time. I never like being called out. I don't know about you. I need it, though. I need for somebody to put their finger on the very thing that might be keeping me from becoming fully alive in him. Will you allow your brothers and sisters in Christ this year to probe you in an area that in the past has been a weakness, probe you in an area in the past that has caused you to fail and to take seriously what it means to be living in Christ? Will you allow your bands of brothers and bands of sisters to ask you hard questions and to take you to a place that you would not have gone on your own? Will you, will you let that happen? And then as the weeks and months go by, would you look in the mirror and begin, begin seeing 
the radiance of the glow of Jesus that you may never have seen before, or to allow the radiance of Jesus that has somehow dissipated to take on a whole new sense of renewal in your life? Will you let that happen? So we need more priests and less paramedics. So we have these stories that I want to be a part of your life. We have a community in which we're living, and then the practices that go with it. Praying, prayer walking, simply practicing the value systems of Jesus, not rule-keeping, but life-giving. Baptisms. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to the words that a baptism has taken place in your local church. But in the Christian tradition, the call to baptism is not a call to come and get wet. A a Christian baptism is a call first to abandon all of that thinking of this world. In the history of the church, she has always asked those candidates getting ready to be baptized, will you reject the teachings of the evil one? And some people think, well, that's a weird way to begin. No, it's not. If you're not going to be following the kingdom community, stay over here. Choose you this day. I will not follow the teachings, the lies of this world. I choose to reject that. And instead, I choose to adopt the kingdom truths and apply them into community. So may we live not just as a as a covenant community, I would say, could we live, live as a sacramental community? When you came forward to receive communion on Tuesday, there were words that were spoken over you. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the New Testament poured out for the forgiveness of sin. We reject evil. We adopt the death of Jesus and raise to everlasting life. The practices that we try to put in place is to make you and shape you into the very image of Christ himself. Kingdom stories, covenant community, life-shaping practices. And all in the middle of that is what it means to live in Christ to be in Jesus as the Holy Spirit flows in and out and courses through our veins and our nostrils. We become more and more like him every single day. It wasn't too many years ago when I uh, got a phone call from a credit card company that began... uh, expressing concern because I had not been paying our bill. I said, really? Um, I think I pay our bill every time when it's due. I always have. Uh, No, and she gave the name of the card company. I said, I don't have a credit card by that name. Oh, yes, you do. I've got your wife's name on the credit card. I've got her social security number. So it's obviously she's taken out a credit card that you don't know about. 
And then I said this, but you don't know my wife. She wouldn't do that. And then it dawned on me, someone had stolen her identity. It took me about two years to finally get everything all cleaned up. In many of our lives, the evil one steals our identity. You are called a child of the Most High God. You are called his daughter or his son. At your baptism, these words were undoubtedly read over you. This is my beloved son or daughter. In you, I am well pleased. And the evil one comes and snatches what we know about God. And he places doubts in our mind. And don't forget, that took place with Eve in the garden. Did God really say, as the serpent whispers into her ears, all the evil one has to do is to cause doubt to come into your mind? I don't know who God is. Then you don't know your identity because your identity is found in him. So if he is not clear, then your identity is not clear at all, and he has snatched your identity. You're not a child anymore. You're a slave at best. If you noticed on the cards that uh, Professor Don Gell passed out to you in Pulse the other day, there were three questions that are listed at the bottom. What does this teach me about God? Because I want your mind to be wonderfully shaped by who God is. What does this reveal to me about humanity? I want you to know who you are in Christ. And then, what does this teach me about how I'm supposed to relate to God and to relate to one another? Can you hear it? Kingdom stories, covenant community, and life-giving practices all being rolled together. And right in the midst of that, the central, the heartbeat is living in Christ. I'd like to close with something I think may be somewhat unusual. As you read through the New Testament again and again and again, you will find the way Jesus declares his love to you is often in a marriage metaphor. You know, the, the end in heaven, there is a wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven. So not only is metaphors used on earth, but in heaven as well. It is this metaphor of what heaven will look like. We will sit with Jesus at this banquet table, and I have to imagine he will place us all at the place of honor. You will be sitting right next to Jesus in heaven at the table that he's been preparing for you. Marriage on earth is to prepare us for heaven. Marriage on earth is a call to be other-centered and never self-centered. I want to say that again. 
marriage is to teach you what it means to be other-centered and not self-centered. And you know, in my immaturity, I realized that I was dating for me, not for somebody else. And I hope that if you are in a relationship, it's because you are pouring into another person and it's not about satisfying your own needs. Otherwise, the relationship you're in is an earthly one, not a kingdom one. Can, can you see the difference between the two? So, I, I've put up a very simple marriage vow that I would love for us to repeat together. Um, the wedding supper of the Lamb is where we're going, but how about making that kingdom commitment now that we will dedicate who we are to kingdom stories. We will learn them, we will apply them, and we will live them. And we will live them in community, and we will encourage one another to make similar commitments to that. And we will hold each other to these high standards. And we will put into practice life-giving practices rather than practices that bring on death. So, would you stand with me? And could we read together um, covenant vows that we make before Christ? I refuse to live in a world that is built upon lies. Rather, I choose to internalize Christ's family's love stories and make them the foundation of my eternal home. I reject all would-be pretenders who desire my soul. Rather, I commit to fully embrace a community shaped by his spirit that will help recreate me in his image. I cast aside all practices that lead to death. Rather, I will lean into practices that will open my heart to his voice and to his living presence making all things beautiful in my life. Elizabeth is going to come and lead in that closing chorus that we sang earlier, all things beautiful. Jesus, the call on our life this day is to learn what the kingdom is like and bring it to earth. But not just to teach it, but to live it in community. And as we call each other to holiness and call each other to your presence, Father, I ask that you would place these wonderful practices in our lives that will continue making us beautiful. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord may his countenance be upon you and bring you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all his people said, amen. Go with God.